0: It's never easy standing in front of a group of people talking about money. And so would you give Chandra another hand? She did a a great job there. A couple more things really quick before we jump right in. Uh, If you would like to help in any area, I really wanna encourage you. I think on the next steps card that's in your thing, you can mark serve and uh, we get that information. We'll contact you, kind of see what's up your alley and uh, anything that uh, you feel like you can contribute one of those areas and chandra mentioned it she did a really good job mentioning this there is now a facilities management development team and uh, one of the greatest resources and i think sometimes we just forget this one of the greatest resources that the church has is us (laughs) it's you it's me and uh, a lot of times i think it's easier to say we should just paint pay somebody to paint that wall and that way nobody has to worry about it nobody has to sacrifice any time. Then there's the opportunity that we all have to do those things and become one as the church. So coming up here pretty quick, you're gonna you're gonna hear about a couple of different work days, which may sound old-fashioned to you, but man, I love work days because usually lunch is provided, and so I'm, I'll work for food. Hey, I am not above that whatsoever. And uh, and so a couple of work days are gonna come. One's an exterior work day in early October, and then an interior work day. In November, we're trying to do some stuff so that anybody can do anything. And uh, just be watching for those opportunities if you're interested in in helping with those. The other thing I want to say, and Chandra mentioned this as well, it is pretty exciting when we do go out in the community and there are people that say, hey, I know what real life does in the community, and that's you. That's you. There's an opportunity we have coming up, and and most of you know that, well, some of you know that uh, I've kind of been working behind the scenes with pastors throughout the region, from Gary to East Chicago to Chesterton, all throughout the region, and we've, we've come together to kind of form, I guess loosely, this group of people that are, quote, together for the region. In other words, this, we can say we're for the region, we can put a sticker on the wall, but that doesn't mean anything. We have to put feet to that. So what does it mean for us to be for the region, but also what does it mean for us to be together with other churches for the region? And uh, so we've kind of put together a, it's like way rudimentary, kind of preliminary stuff, but it's called Together for the Region. And our very first activity together is to get as many churches in the region as possible together on September 17th. And Gary, the city of Gary, is having a cleanup day. And uh, we get the opportunity to pick where that is and what time we're going to be, wherever we're going to be. But our goal is to get as many people to be a part of that as possible. Mostly it's going to be picking up trash maybe doing some, uh, some bush trimming and some different things like that, some cleanup. But uh, I would love to have you sign up for that. Um, it's, it's, it's an easy way for the church, Big C, to show out and model for the world what it looks like for us to be one. And we're, we're putting feet to that. So there's a table out in the foyer. You'll see the little Gary sign and all that stuff just your name and your email address so we can keep you up to date and, uh, and we can kind of go for there. So thank you for being real life in the community. I really appreciate that. It's a privilege uh, to be able to say that I am the pastor of this church. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, sure. Yeah, good. All these unexpected applause every once in a while. I just don't know how to handle that. All right. Well, we're going to talk about generosity and giving, so I'll wait for some more applause here in just a moment. No, I'm just kidding. No, today's a little bit different. So we're, we are in this three-part series. We're right in the middle of it. Jump, we're going to jump right into part two here. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, there are two verses as we continue this series on what it looks like for us to be one in generosity. And the question really is, what does it look like for the church and the church being real life what does it look like for real life to participate in the grace of generosity as one not you not me but us what does it look like for us for we to be generous as one so for context if you were not here last week i would really encourage you to go online not because i have some awesome online voice or something but uh go to the Spotify channel, go to YouTube, go to Facebook, or better yet, as Chandra said, download the app. You have access to messages, devotionals, uh, resources, all kinds of different stuff. I'd encourage you to do that. But in summary, last week, what we did was we saw a group of churches. We looked at a group of churches that were exceedingly generous. Paul is writing to this church in a place called Corinth, and he's highlighting these different churches. In fact, One of these churches in particular that he elevates are the Macedonians, the Macedonian churches. And the reason he talks about the Macedonian churches is because they're like irresponsibly generous. (laughs) It's like their generosity doesn't make any sense. If you were to pick a group of people and say, wow, those people should be giving more, you did not point at the Macedonians. They had persecution. They were struggling. They had severe poverty. But Paul is highlighting this Macedonian church as an example of what it looks like to be generous. Uh, that you know, it, They should have been the ones receiving a special offering. And the offering that we're talking about is somebody had gone around to all of these churches and the church in Jerusalem, the very first church was suffering huge persecution. Businesses being shut down, families being kind of torn apart. It was, it was a bad day to be a Christian in Jerusalem. And so they were really under duress, and so somebody had gone around to all these perimeter churches and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to take an offering to support these Christians, the church in Jerusalem. And so Paul has approached the Corinthian church for a reason. And we, but going back to the Macedonian church, their, their generosity kind of stood out. It was just odd. It was different. And the, the question we really kind of wrestled with last week was, why? Why? Why would people so destitute actually contact Paul and beg for the opportunity to give more? Why would those people do that? And the answer really came down to, and it's in those first few verses of that chapter, they gave themselves first to the Lord. God had control of their whole life. So they, they put themselves in his hands first, first. So again, I, I want to encourage you to head online if you missed it. But now, this is Paul using the Macedonians as an example to encourage the Corinthian church to continue in the commitment that they'd made to this offering. For some reason, we don't know all the details, we know quite a bit about the Corinthian church and we can make some assumptions, but ultimately at the end of the day, they had made a commitment financially, but then just decided they weren't gonna do it. For whatever reason, they were not following through. And uh, so Paul uses the Macedonians as an example. Paul clearly was not a parent. This whole, hey, you should be more like your brother, or you should be more, that never usually works, okay? (laughs) And so I'm really encouraged that Paul doesn't just use the Macedonian church as the example, kind of like, hey, you should be more like them. Again, never works. But then he kind of changes gears a little bit and says, here's why they're the way that they are. And here's why you should be like that, too. And he makes a transition. It's in Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through 9. You see it on the screen. Paul says, I'm not commanding you, but I do want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Macedonians know it. You know what it means to experience the grace of Jesus in your life. That even though he was rich, yet for your sake, Corinthians, he became poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. So really quick, when we hear the words rich and poverty and poor and all that stuff, you got to think past money. We're not talking about just money. We're talking about, you know, poor is in giving up certain things in your life, certain rights, certain privileges, all kinds of different things. He gave all of these things up so that the Corinthians would find abundance and life and fullness and freedom. So they had experienced this grace of Jesus Christ's generosity in their lives. Paul's making a proposition How do you know that your love is genuine? So I don't know if this is true or not. This is just what preachers tell each other because it's a really good illustration. So counterfeit money. It's been said that the way years ago, before computers and imaging and all that stuff, that you determine whether or not somebody gave you a counterfeit $20 bill was they would get a room of people together, they'd give them real $20 bills, and they'd spend days and days and days studying, studying the weight of the paper, the feel of the paper, the little intricate designs, anything and everything, so that when a counterfeit was put in their hand, they just immediately knew this is not the real thing. It doesn't look, it doesn't feel, it doesn't smell, it doesn't, it doesn't have the weight of the counterfeit stuff. And so it's easy to tell what the counterfeit is because they've, become, they've come to know the real thing so well. Well, how do you know that your love is genuine? When it looks, when it feels, when it smells, when it carries the weight of Jesus. When it looks like Jesus, that's how you know when your love is genuine. Specifically, what Paul is talking about here is how we love through giving. And is it based on Jesus' example of giving and generosity. What Paul is saying to the Corinthian church is that their pattern of giving reflects on how they represent Jesus. People either see Jesus in one light or another, and a lot of that has to do with how we represent him in the way we live our lives, and that includes our generosity. That includes our our giving. So this is kind of a big deal, what Paul's talking about. What we're gonna see is that if we, not me, not just you, but if we as a church are gonna be one in generosity. I want you to understand really quick, the metric for whether or not we are generous isn't numbers. Now, everything that we talked about and Chandra talked about earlier is really, really important. We need to know where we're at. That's just good stewardship. But the metric on whether or not we're being generous is, is not numbers. The metric on generosity is not your generosity compared to the generosity of somebody you're sitting next to or sharing some space in this room with. Those are not the metrics for giving. Those are not the metrics of generosity. The baseline for this church, the baseline for what you and I consider to be generous, and the baseline for giving is Jesus. He's the model, he's the one we look to. And it's summed up in that one verse, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So, how did Jesus give? How was he generous? Well, he gave first. He gave first. He gave freely, and then he gave first. It says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is, it's grace. So we talked about this last week. Grace is a natural, or generosity is a natural response to grace. Once you've received grace, you want to give grace. You want to be generous. They go hand in hand. When you receive grace, you want to give it. Webster defines grace like this. Unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration and sanctification. So let me, let me simplify that. Grace is a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It's a gift. If you earned it, if you earned grace, then it would no longer be a gift, right? So think about it this way. Uh, When you give somebody a birthday gift, what makes it a gift? My wife should be here in the second service. Tomorrow is her birthday. And so if you see her between the services, tell her, you got the greatest husband. He just mentioned your birthday in the service. So tomorrow's her birthday, and, uh, you know, tomorrow I might wake up and be like, hey, you know, I've been thinking about this whole last year of your life. You've done a real good job wifing. So I'm going to give you a birthday gift today. Don't you all wish I was in your life like that? Or better yet, maybe, maybe I get her a card. Hey, you didn't die again this year. Congratulations, you made it another one. Okay, that's not a gift. It's not a gift because you don't earn those things. You give a gift really only for one reason. It's just to express love, right? It's just to express love to somebody else. It's a gift. Uh, It's an expression of love from the one who gives it, the one who is generous. That's grace. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, for by grace you've been saved. Through faith, this is not of your own doing. You didn't do anything to earn this. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. You didn't work for this. If you worked for your salvation, then you could brag about it. You could talk about, see what I did to get saved? And Paul says, no, no, it's grace. It's a gift of God. You can't boast about that. You didn't have any part in that. All you had to do was receive it and believe. Grace is a really hard topic for some people. Grace is a hard topic for me, a little bit. Um, And one of the reasons I think grace is hard is because I think sometimes we have a hard time receiving something we didn't earn. Um, I was, I don't know how you were raised, I was raised not to expect handouts. (laughs) I was raised in a household that didn't, I mean, if if I even remotely was just like, I wish I had that stuff, or wish I had this, everybody else has it, my parents would be like, okay, first of all, stop talking. Second of all, what did you do to earn it? Well, nothing, but neither did they. I'm just that whole, I was in a mindset where I was taught to work, okay? You just didn't expect something for nothing. And while that might produce like a really good work ethic, like somebody you, you can count on to always be there and work real, real hard and not expect anything more than what they deserve, the problem with that is it also makes people very proud. People have pride problems. I have a pride problem, okay? Sometimes I'm too proud to admit when I actually do need help, when I need somebody to step in the gap for me, because I should be doing all those things. Why would you step in the gap for me? Why would you love me if I've not done anything for you to love me? You ever been there? Have you ever experienced that? That's not grace, it's not grace. Maybe you can relate, or maybe you struggle with grace in other ways. For instance, like the idea that God's grace, this unmerited favor, this, this willingness to give so abundantly and generously and recklessly, it, maybe you struggle with the idea that everybody gets that, that grace is for all, that Jesus died once for all. So is God's grace available to a rapist? to a school shooter, that's not fair, is it? God's grace should be for those who, what? Deserve it. This is such a, a foreign idea to us, grace. The Corinthians that Paul was writing to, even though... And they were. They were very self-sufficient. They were accomplished. They were successful. They were well-off. They were, they were doing really good. They had experienced the grace of Jesus in their lives. They, they were following Jesus. They had received what Jesus had done for them, but for some reason, it was not translating into their actions, into the way that they were living their lives, which is why Paul didn't just write one letter to the Corinthians. He wrote two. <laughs> because they they just really needed some guidance and some direction, and that leads to the second thing that you and I need to consider for our church to be one in generosity. How is it that Jesus gave, well, he gave freely, but then he also gave first. He gave first before you and I ever looked to Jesus, before you and I ever thought about Jesus, he thought about us first. When I was uh, 17 years old, 1992, um, that was when I gave my life to Christ, I put my faith in Jesus, uh, and then I, I started after that pursuing an education in ministry. Um, there were a lot of people in that first year or two that I knew, particularly family members, who really, really struggled with what I was doing. Um, I was not raised in the church like this, and so a lot of uh, a lot of the hurt, even in those first couple of years, was that I was somehow leaving our family, which was not true. Um, But it just, it felt that way, it looked that way. And uh, one of the things that I would hear, mostly from family members, I had a few friends like this too, was in almost in a mocking way, we say, oh, look what Rich is doing now. Rich found God. Rich must have found God. Look at what he's doing. Have you ever heard those statements? Or somebody got religion, and so now they don't do all the bad things anymore, or whatever. Uh, But, you know, Rich found God. Now, I'm not the sharpest dude On the planet, I will own that. But I figured out a long time ago. I did not find God. God found me. He looked for me. (laughs) He chose me. Uh, He found me. Nobody finds God. Reverse that. No, God pursues you. (laughs) He He pursues all of us, and he did it by giving first by giving first so follow me here romans 5 8 but god shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners jesus died for us while we didn't deserve it he gave while we didn't do anything to earn his love his favor his grace any 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 forgiveness whatsoever we didn't do anything to earn any of that while we were still like that He went ahead and took care of it anyway. Even so, he gave first. Giving us life, he gave us hope. He chose us, he gave for us long before we cared about him, before we had our act together, before we deserved it. That is called grace. That's called grace, and it's good. It's amazing grace. Out of his love, here's what he did. He leaned into you. He leaned into you. The book of First John tells us that Jesus Christ first loved us. He first loved us, but he didn't just give freely. He didn't just give first. He also gave sacrificially. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He became rich that's a choice he chose to give I think sometimes we forget and it's good to be reminded that Jesus was God in the flesh God in the flesh the one who spoke worlds into existence became like you and me flesh powerful enough to calm the storm powerful enough to beat death and rise from the grave It's God in the flesh. Needless to say, Jesus had a lot of things at his disposal (laughs) all the time. Scripture says he could have called legions of angels to rescue him on the cross. I mean, he, he had everything at his disposal. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus had everything, anything and everything, and all the things you and I can never even imagine at his disposal for his pleasure, for his enjoyment, for his needs, and he turned it all away. He turned it all away. He didn't have affliction. He did not know pain. And yet, in an act of grace, he sacrificed all of that, every single ounce of it, for us. He gave. He gave sacrificially. Not only that, he humbled himself, and he entered into our drama. I got drama. You got drama? I got drama. (laughs) Okay. He intentionally chose to deny himself and enter my brokenness, my mess, uh, to give himself my sin. He entered into that to set me free. He did it freely, he did it first, and he did it sacrificially. Philippians 2, 3 through 8, is a passage of scripture that on one hand is one of the most beautiful, I think, statements in all of scripture. But on the other hand, it is one of the most convicting. Philippians 2, three through eight, this is Paul again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, Willingly gave his life sacrificially, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave, he loved so much he gave, but also he gave with intent. He was very intentional. Uh, I wanna ask you if you would do me a favor. My big ask for the day. Would you be willing just to raise your hand right now and just kind of put it in the air? Would you just be willing to kind of put it up there and hold it there for a second? Just for a moment, there was a reason he freely, sacrificially gave. It's you. It's you. Now, before you put your hand down, can I just put a thought in your mind really quick? I am God's beloved. I'm, I am God's beloved. What would it look like for you to own that? Raising your hand, say, I am God's beloved. He chose me. What would it look like to acknowledge that in your life, to believe that, that you're chosen without condition? It's you, it's you that He's after. His intention in giving is you. You put your hand down. Does that conflict with your view of God? That without condition, you are his chosen beloved. He lives today to love you. To be in fellowship with you. I want to make sure you understand something you are not somebody who is tolerated by God God doesn't tolerate you Uh, God does not compare you to other people that doesn't exist for God He does not compare you to other people He doesn't look at you from afar with eyes of disappointment and frustration that's not God He doesn't do any of that you are his beloved. He doesn't put up with you. He pursues you. He loves you enough, even so, to chase after you. He finds you. He offers you grace. He lived a life of love, lived out perfectly. A life of love lived out perfectly for God, and a life of love lived out perfectly for man. He died then for our sin he died for our brokenness for our failure at living a life perfectly of love for God and living a life perfectly of love for others he died in our place and in that act he also then turns around and gives us grace he offers us forgiveness for not living that out Jesus gave his life for us and he gave with intent let me say that another way you are his target. <laughs> you are the target of all of Jesus' giving. You, His beloved, are the target. Uh, I referenced 1992. I didn't find God in full admission. I wasn't looking. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has been there either. I wasn't looking for God. Uh, I'd settled a few things in my life pretty early on, and one of those was, "Hey, man, it's good to be king. It's good to be in charge. I liked being in charge of my life. I knew what I wanted. I knew how to get what I wanted. And I pretty much determined that I didn't need people other than what they could do for me. I knew what I wanted and people were a means to my end. If I was looking for pleasure, people were a means to give me pleasure. If I had some stuff that I wanted, people were a means to give me what I wanted. I knew how to use people. Uh, I didn't need for, I did not need whatsoever some judgy God right, that clearly didn't make any difference in the lives of some Christians that I did know. And it was clear that the way they talked and the way they acted and the way they talked about other people, yeah, it, so if you're there, you ain't making much make of a difference there. So I didn't want anything to do with that. And so I would almost say back in 1992, I was pretty much indifferent. I, I was not looking. And then through a series of events, God just kind of started piercing the self-sufficiency of Rich (laughs) Doring. He started peeling that away. And pretty quickly, there was this hunger that grew, and it's because of some other Christians that I met. Um, God was so good. He put Christians in my life who, instead of coming to me and telling me how deplorable I was, or reminding me of all the mistakes that I did that didn't line up. Uh, I knew that stuff. I mean, I already had guilt and shame in my life, but I figured out how to cover that one up and just kind of just keep on pushing forward. But I, I, I knew God was good, and I started to experience some of his love in my life. But these people didn't come alongside of me, and they didn't see me as an object, like a, a prize to win so they could put another notch in their belt. See who I led to Jesus? Jesus. They just saw me as somebody that needed some love. And so they just loved me. They loved me when I messed up. They loved me when I did whatever. And they loved me literally to the foot of the cross. Literally to the foot of the cross. Instead of shame or fear, I was introduced to this God of grace. A God who would choose me Even so, even so, why was Jesus' giving so extravagant? Because he doesn't just offer you grace. He saw me as a part of his family. He sees you as a part of his family. Ephesians 2, verses 19 and 20 from the message translation of the Bible says this. You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith That's now your home country. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer outsiders. You belong here. Listen, you are not tolerated by God. You are not tolerated by this church, his church. You belong here. (laughs) You belong here. With as much right to the name Christian as anybody else. God is building a home. The word adoption, which occurs in a lot of different translations, is a, is a really powerful word. If you, if you were to ask most adoptive parents if the child that they adopted is just an add-on to their family, they would be offended, wouldn't they? Those children are full family. They are now solidly in familia, in family. They are family. Let me ask you again. Well, what do it look like today for you to acknowledge something like that in your life? Maybe even today, when faced with this reality of God's pursuit of you, based in perfect love, see, this isn't just the baseline, again, for how this church is one in generosity. It's so much more. This is so much more. It's about all of us in relationship with a loving God who's pursued all Pursued all of us. It takes place because of grace. A gift that God enacted first, sacrificially, extravagantly. You are a Christian not by any other means, other than when you believe that God sent His Son to offer you this grace. And then you accept it. And you accept it. I would love to invite you to put your faith in Jesus today and receive that generosity of grace that he gives us have you ever received that gift have you ever trusted and experienced that grace that undeserved favor that forgiveness that Jesus offers you Ernest Hemingway was an author and he wrote a short story once called The Capital of the World It was based in Madrid, Spain. And in that story, it features a young man by the name of Paco. Paco and his father had had a falling out and Paco left home and uh, horrible words were exchanged, so Paco left. And the father in desperation started looking for him. He did not know where to find his son. So he went down every street, he looked in every store, he, he went everywhere he could think of to find his son. And then out of total desperation, he took out an ad in the Madrid newspaper. And the ad read this. It said, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. And at noon on Tuesday, 800 Pacos showed up. I wonder if you might join me today in acknowledging that you are God's beloved. That he has pursued you. He has loved you. He has graciously, sacrificially, extravagantly given of himself that you might know and experience real life. Real life. And maybe you've known that for years. If that's you, I want to ask you, if that's you and you know that, I want to ask you to raise your hand. Join me in raising your hand and recognizing God's pursuing love for you. Raising your hand and saying, I am I am God's beloved. I am God's beloved. Maybe you're here and you're having a hard time understanding how God could love like that. Listen, that's why it's called Amazing Grace. There's so much about this and I'm, <laughs> I'm your pastor. I don't understand. I don't understand. Maybe for the first time today, would you accept that grace and agree that it's been given to you? Even so. Even so. With our hands in the air, can I pray for you? Father, we thank you for your love for us. And it is this kind of indescribable, ununderstandable love. It's so foreign to us because that's just not how we see love operating around us, and maybe even in ways that we've not participated in before. Would you help us to understand your grace today? And and Father, if there's any sin in our lives, we confess that to you. We know that your Son, Jesus Christ, came, lived this life of perfect love for you and for others. He gave himself in our place. He died for our sin. But he rose again, then he turns around, he offers us forgiveness. He offers us this grace, this unmerited favor, this idea that there is nothing that, you, that we can do to earn your favor. But Father, you love us enough to provide the means of grace for that to take place. So today, we raise our hands and we acknowledge, I, I'm the target. <laughs> I'm the target of all of that. I, I am God's beloved. You love me with an ever ending love. So I accept that love today. I accept that love. I accept that forgiveness. I allow myself to understand I am in your family, God. I'm in your family today. And I love you and I praise you. It's in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can I just share with you briefly just a couple of next steps, just really, really quickly. You're gonna see a slide on the screen. I have a hard time doing any of this and then not making some asks. The first is the Membership Matters course. Um, that seems like really scary and intimidating to most people. If you wanna learn more about what we just talked about, if you wanna learn more about how this church operates, what it means to be a member of the church, I'm not a high pressure salesman, so as soon as the course is over, it's not like, all right, everybody stick the pen in your finger and you know give some blood. That's not how this works. I just want to be able to opportunity to present you an opportunity to just take another step in your faith journey when it comes to being a part of real life. And so I would encourage you, uh, you can go onto the app or you can pick up a card, just write membership on there, and put it in a box that does not mean you just became a member, okay? It means you're interested in learning more about what that looks like and being a part of that course. Life groups, those are self-explanatory. The main means for us fleshing out and what it means for us to love God, love people, and serve the world in this church is when you do it with other people. And so we want to encourage you. Life groups are life-changing, and we want to encourage you to jump in with any of those. Baptism. There's going to be a baptism service that comes up. If you raise your hand, and you prayed and you desire to, to really receive all of the grace that God gives And you just acknowledge I'm, I'm a chosen part of God's family. Baptism is a public way for you to profess that. And uh, we would love to have you fill that out on that next steps card that you're interested in being baptized. I'll meet with you, we'll talk, don't get scared, uh, but uh, that may be a huge next step for you. And it's a great next step, a really great one. And then finally, and Chandra mentioned this, Man, I tell you what, if you would download that app, it is full of everything that you need. And uh, I just want to encourage anybody to, to download that app and take advantage of that. I'm proud of you. I am. I'm going to ask you to stand. As of late, we've been doing our real-life benediction, but today, as I was reading Scripture uh, this last week, this one popped up, and I think this is a fitting benediction. So if it's all right with you, can I just kind of send you out with us? It's Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 21. You'll see it on the screen. May God, who puts all things together, makes all things whole, who made a lasting mark through the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice of blood that sealed the eternal covenant, who led Jesus, our great shepherd, up and alive from the dead, now put you together, Provide you with everything you need to please him. Make us into what gives him most pleasure by means of the sacrifice of Jesus, the Messiah. All glory to Jesus forever and always. Amen and yes and yes. Father, thank you for your love for us today. Be with us as we go. Help us to live out what it means to truly live real life in you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. And uh, make sure you stop at the welcome desk or the welcome center. Sign up for opportunities to serve. Thanks. Yeah.